0: Turn to Joshua chapter 4, and this is going to be a New Year's message. I have not preached many of these, but here's one. Um, Joshua chapter 4. Father, now as we open up the scriptures, we ask that our hearts would be open to receive the exhortation, the encouragement from the Word of God, from the life of Joshua and your nation, your people, Israel. I pray that we would learn many deep, profound lessons on approaching life differently than maybe we have been approaching it in the past. So now, Father, I pray that this God-inspired book, the Bible, would inspire us in the 21st century on the brink of a new year. God, we ask that our vision and our hope and our optimism would be centered in you and that you would send us into this next year with goodness and mercy and hope. In Jesus' name we pray, we said together, amen. Well, happy New Year's Eve again on the brink of another year. What can we say about 2017? It was a wild year. A lot of things happened in 2017. And maybe we could say that at the end of every year, but I just think this was a uniquely radical year in uh, local, global, and uh, and, and international things going on in the world. Um, One of the most wild presidential elections in my living memory, Um, for those of you who've seen more election years, I don't know if there's one that parallels this one, and whether your guy won or your gal lost or however that shook down for you, you must say this was a very interesting, unique, and tumultuous, intense presidential election year. Um, and also, um, you've probably been following news headlines, you know, North Korea's in the headlines all the time with Kim Jong-un and the, uh, the thermonuclear threat and are we going to be going into World War III, all of that is mounting, um, a year of hurricanes like no other. Um, I, I don't, I haven't tracked all the hurricane years, but I think this one uh, really goes on record as a very significant year of hurricanes in uh, especially the southern states in our country. Um, uh, an avalanche of sexual harassment charges. What is up with that? All these years of powerful men—thirty uh, men were brought over. Thirty men brought into the public eye that were government leaders and and leaders in in, in Hollywood and entertainment and and all that brought forward on their uh, multiple sexual harassment charges. And then came the birth of the hashtag Me Too movement as women are stepping forward out of shame. Uh, coming forward against sexual assault. So just a lot of things happened this year, and and not all of it was bad. There were some definitely some good things that happened globally and nationally in 2017. Um, One of the things that I think we can give thanks to God for is uh, uh, the fact that we were able to take the head off the snake uh, in a major way with ISIS, defeating ISIS, at least at a very crucial level. Um, If you haven't been following that, a major win for the world to eliminate or at least uh, crucially affect the ISIS threat in the world. Um, And then also, uh, I don't know if you caught this, in 2017, women in Saudi Arabia finally have been given the permission to drive. Uh, So welcome to the 21st century, uh, Saudi Arabia. Um, So so some progressions there. And, And then, of course, I mean, who can forget and, and bat an eye at uh, what happened on August 21st with the total solar eclipse. Wasn't that amazing? How many of you like, actually got the glasses and traveled somewhere to go and witness this event? So um, I was just standing with my friend, you know, Christopher Kenny, borrowing glasses so I didn't burn the retina out of my eyes or whatever, but man... Well, that was pretty cool, um, and some of you got to actually see the whole Earth go dark for those moments, and wild creatures come out, and aliens, and all that, and uh, you still live to tell about it. Um, so that you know that, that there's a lot that's happened in 2017 on a large scale, but you've also lived a year in your local narrative, in your personal life, the narrative of your life, and you've experienced things this last year. Um, and so just the question I'm going to throw out to you, of all the years that you've been alive, what significance did 2017 have in your life? If you're going to rate 2017 on a scale of 1 to 10, to make it simple, what would you rate this year? How was this year? And, and I do think, I'm not a person of resolutions because I think they're just setting ourselves up for failure, I think goals are fine, I think purpose and vision is fine, but I mean, if you're someone who has run kind of the, the hamster wheel of trying to make resolutions, you make them and break them within the month, you know I mean? Um, but I do think that there is a place for, for stepping back from our lives, uh, having just lived a year, an entire year of your life, chalk it off, it's over almost, at midnight tonight, um, you're stepping into something new, a new year, a new, a new time in your life, and, and reflection on your life is important. Um, Warren Wearsby once put it this way: a, a, "An unexamined life is not worth living." So I think it is good to look back so that we might look forward. And so, if you're looking backward on 2017 um, and all the things that happened in your personal narrative, how would you rate the year? The number I came up with, and I did not consult my wife on this. She's probably more optimistic about life than I tend to be. Um, I rated 2017 at a five. It's a five. It was not by far the best year of my life, but it wasn't the worst year. I've had a lot worse years than 2017, but I've had a lot better years. So on the scale of my life, I'm, I'm, I'm rating 2017 at a five. Where would you put 2017? Would you say it's a low average year? I mean, how many of you guys would say it was a low year for me? It's one through four. Um, how many would say it was an average year? I'll give it a five to a seven. How many would say it was a high year in my life? Anyone who got married this year or had a baby this year better have your hand up, right? (laughs) Or else you're going to be in trouble when you get home. Um, But but this morning, regardless of of how 2017 went for you, I do want to invite us into 2018 with hope and centered optimism. I do think that Christians should be not tritely optimistic, but deeply optimistic and hopeful. Um, And we want to be hopeful as we step in to this next year. And so I'm calling this message, moving forward by looking back at God's faithfulness. Moving forward by looking back at God's faithfulness. So to center us in the scriptural text, uh, would you turn with me? Uh, if you have, did I ever tell you to turn there? Okay, I did. So you're already there. Good for you. You're ahead of the game. Um, but we're going to look at Joshua chapter 4 this morning. But just to set us in a quick context for the passage, Israel at this time is in a time of transition. They have spent 40 years in the wilderness wandering under a different leader. So for 40 years, Moses was in charge and they had been wandering in the wilderness. They were free from Egypt, the slavery there of 40 years or 420 years. Um, Now they are in the wilderness for 40 years under Moses in the wilderness. Things are changing. God has appointed a new leader. Moses is dead. Joshua has been raised up. The one who served under Moses is now the new leader, and he's about to take the people into a new land. So they've got a new leader and a new land. This is a major transition in Israel's history. If you looked on the story arc of Israel, they, coming to the Jordan River was a definite line of delineation. And so if you would, if you just imagine in your mind's eye, the three million plus people that are a part of Israel at this time, a people that have grown in the desert over 40 years, have now come to a barrier between the wilderness and the promised land, and that is called the Jordan River. And God instructs His people in chapter 3 in how they are to approach this Jordan. Now the Jordan River at this time, and we'll find out in the narrative, was at flood stage. It was overflowing its banks. And so the snow melt from Mount Hermon had come down into the, usually a very small river, but during the time of the flooding, the, the, the spring melt off, this once small river could turn into a huge raging river, 90 to 100 feet in width, 12 feet deep, and, and very uh, tumultuous. You could drown in a river like this. And so this is now where Israel is coming and they're, they're stepping up to this sort of line in the sand, if you would, this line in the earth, the Jordan River. It's a line of delineation from separating them from their past to their future, from slavery in Egypt to success in Canaan, from the poverty of the wilderness, from the plenty in the promised land, from a place of aimless wandering to a place of purpose and destiny. And so God tells Israel, when you cross over this Jordan, I'm going to take you across it, the way you're to do this is you're going to send the priests out in front. And they're going to be carrying the Ark of the Covenant. That's a heavy box. You know know the Ark of the Covenant, right? Those of you who saw Indiana Jones, you know exactly what this is. Um, this, This box made of acacia wood, overlaid in gold, the pure gold mercy seat on top of this rectangle, inside. What's inside of the... The, for those of you who grew up in Sunday school, what's inside of the, the box? What's inside of the Ark of the Covenant? Aaron's rod that budded. What else? Ten Commandments and a pot of manna, right? Those three things. So this is a major uh, symbol for Israel, the Ark of the Covenant. It was the place where inside the Holy of Holies, God's presence dwelt. And so now you have God's priests, the Levites, carrying this Ark up to this raging river. And they're going to go into the land. And Israel, the people, are to give space between the priests out in front of them with the ark of God, and they're to to hang back and watch this. And so now they're watching as their priests, their leaders, go in front of them into this raging river. And so just look up back in chapter 3 real quick, and let's see what happens. So when the people broke camp, chapter 3, verse 14, To cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage during all the harvest. Yet as soon, now this is great, just imagine this. As soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, verse 16, chapter 3, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap and a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Ereba, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off, so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, they step into the riverbed and stop in the middle of the Jordan. I'd be wanting to get to the other side as soon as possible. God's holding them back the waters now. And so they stood, and it says on, verse 17, look, on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed crossing on dry ground. So here you have this great epic story that most of us are very, very familiar with. God is bringing his people into a new day. They're crossing the Jordan into the land that flows with milk and honey, into Kadesh Barnea, into the land of Canaan, into this place of plenty and fruitfulness, no longer in wilderness, drought, and poverty, but now entering into a place of abundance. And and they enter into this raging river, and the priests standing there, and the people, millions of people, women, children, horses, donkeys, cows, all passing through this river, and the priests stand there until everyone makes it to the other side. And God brings them into the new land. But as they're getting started in the new land, God says, Before you build a house, you take a city, you establish yourself in this land, there is a remembrance ceremony that Israel was required to participate in. And that's chapter four. God says, I've done something for you. I've brought you across this Jordan. Now you must do something for me. And so chapter four, we read, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan. The Lord said to Joshua, Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men who he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder. And so these big boulders, you see these men just carrying these boulders out of the riverbed, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites. For what reason, verse six, to serve as a sign among you in the future when your children would ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan... The waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Now Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood And they were there to this day. Just real quick, just by way of comment as we go through the chapter, um, you notice there are two stacks of stones being amassed here. The first stack of stones, one leader from each of the 12 tribes, take a stone, carry it on your shoulder as a sign, stack it up on the shore. But then Joshua takes a journey into the riverbed himself, and he creates his own stack of stones. And somebody said, commenting on this, this was so that when the river was low at times of drought, they could see a memorial of what God had done. So kind of the image being that there are times in our lives where we set up a memorial in a place where really it would be unseen for most of the time except when drought time comes and as the river lowered, you would be reminded of God's faithfulness. And so Joshua stacks this memorial stone in the midst of the Jordan River Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people. I love that statement. They just stayed there until the work had been completed. Just as Moses had directed Joshua, the people hurried over. And as soon as all of them had crossed the Jordan and the priests came to the other side while the people watched, the men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over ready for battle in the front of the Israelites as Moses had directed. About forty-thousand. 1,000, armed for the battle, crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. They stood in awe of him in all the, ways of, in all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Come, man, the priest, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, Lot, come out of the Jordan River. Joshua commanded the priest, Come out of the Jordan. And they said, Gladly we will. And the priest came out of the Jordan, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, No sooner, now this is great, no sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as they had before. Now this is significant, verse 19. We'll come back to this at the very end. Mark it, circle it, think about it. It's gonna be significant, even though you may not see its significance right now. Verse 19, on the 10th day of the first month that the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho, Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that had taken, they had taken out of the Jordan. Just note that because we will come full circle. He said to the Israelites, In the future when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on gr- dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what had been done at the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this, now verse 24, he did this so that all the people of the earth, not just Israelites, so that all the people of the earth, God did something for them so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. We say amen just to that phrase. God did this so that all the peoples of the earth would know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. In whatever place you find yourself, this happened so that we in the 21st century would know that the hand of the Lord is powerful, and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Let the church say, amen. Again, we move forward with hope by remembering the faithfulness of God in the past. The Lord commands Israel to remember. Now, I don't know if you're somebody who has a short-term memory like I do. Uh, I have early-onset Alzheimer's. Um, I forget things really quickly. And um, so if my wife says, remember something, it makes me nervous. Just the word remember makes me break out into a cold sweat because it's almost, if you tell me to remember, I'm almost certain to forget. Um, so people get offended with me all the time because they think, you forgot about me. You don't love me. You know, I'm just, no, it's just this problem I have. May God heal my mind. And may I eat more fish oils this year um, for my brain. <laughs> but that said, God tells his people, remember. But he doesn't just tell them to remember and then leave it up to their own memories. But he actually says, no, I'm going to ask you to perform a ritual that is going to force you to Remember when this water of Jordan is parted, you are going to take a piece of something you've been through. You're going to take a part of what you've journeyed through and you are going to take it out of this river and you're going to put it in a place so that your children, so that future generations, so that you and so that all the earth might know that the Lord your God is powerful and that you might fear the Lord. You notice how God in that one act of memorializing something God had done says, I want you to teach your children from this pile of stones. I want you to teach future generations from this pile of stones. I want you to remember, as you look at this pile of stones, every time you come down to the Jordan to draw your water, every time you come down to the Jordan, you will remember that God did something. So God puts in place a physical tool, a physical remembrance So that the people would never forget that they would teach children and generations to come and all the earth and that they would remind themselves. And if we are going to be a people of hope for the future, we must be able to see the good hand of God upon us in the past. If you don't remember the good that God has done in your past, you will feel pessimistic, hopeless, and despairing of the future. When I find in myself a despairing of looking forward... I don't look forward to the future, let's just say, at different times in my life. It's a failure to remember where God has taken me. That's why a journal, keeping a journal, is so helpful. I like reading through old journals. Not because I'm a great writer, but because it reminds me of how lost I felt in one year of my life. And it's like a distant, fuzzy memory. It's almost like I have to, it jogs my memory. Oh man, I didn't remember I went through that. And I stand there with, in my hand, a memorial stone of things that God has brought me through. I would say, if you had a tough year, 2017 was just tough, I pray you have memorial stones in your life that you're able to look back, even after a very tough year, a tough experience, a trying time in your life, and to say, you know, God has brought me through some things. Life ain't easy, man. God never said it would be easy. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Paul said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The Bible never said, you're going to get your best life now. That it's all going to be lollipops and sunshine skipping through the daisies. That's just not the gospel. The gospel is, in this world, you're going to have trouble. God says, I'm not making you naively optimistic, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And so the overcoming mindset is a mindset that says, I remember the goodness of God. Not every day of my life has been difficult. I have had some beautiful, powerful, wonderful moments to fail to remember those is to rob myself of the hope that I could have for the future. Listen to what D.A. Carson says about being a people that remember. Memory plays an important role in, in any society. Without a memory, a person loses identity. And without a history to sustain it, a society and the world around it becomes virtually phantom. Any society that hopes to endure must become, as sociologists put it, a community of memory and hope. That's my 2018 phrase. My hope for my life, my vision for my family, the Fowler Six, my vision for the Emmaus community, is that we would be a community of memory and hope. One of the reasons that I think hope is so difficult is often a failure to remember. You know, God is pretty fierce. He's commanding us to remember. All through the pages of the scriptures, there is this fierce command, remember, remember, don't forget, remember, memorialize, set up rocks, build altars, have rituals that cause your mind to go back to say, oh yes, remember what God has done. You know, one of the chief times that God tells his people to remember is Exodus 12. To this day, the Jews still are living off Exodus 12. It was the night, the very night that God took his people out of Egypt after 420 years of slavery. That night, as death was passing over all Egypt, the final plague, God says, slay a lamb, apply the blood of the lamb on your house and death will pass over. And that night, He not only allowed death to pass over, but he sent his people out of Egypt, freed them from their years and years and years of slavery. And then from there on, he says, and you every year must remember this. On the first month, on the 10th day, every year from here on out, remember Passover. Remember the night that I came through. Do not forget. So to this day, the Jews remember every Passover. What God did that night. In Exodus chapter 17, God gives Israel a great victory over the Amalekites, a mortal enemy of theirs. You remember it's kind of a crazy story. Joshua was down with the military fighting the Amalekites, and they'd get beat back sometimes, and then they would win. And Moses went up to the mountain. He didn't pick up a sword or a shield or a bow and arrow. He went up on the top of the mountain, and two friends joined him, Aaron, his brother, and this other guy named Hur. What a bad name for a boy. Um, And there they stood on this mountain, and every time Moses' hands were lifted with the rod of God, Israel would whoop on the Amalekites. The Bible says that his hands grew heavy. And his friends, his two associates, Aaron and Hur, they they, they took Moses, it says they set him on a rock, and they held up his hands until the battle was won that day. And you know what God told Moses? He said, Moses, write this down on a scroll and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. Because he needs to remember what I did today. He needs to remember that when he saw a man with his hands lifted up on a mountain praying, that's where the victory was. He needs to remember what I can do in his weakness. Write it down on a scroll and read it to him. Remind him when he's stressed out. Joshua, have a seat pull out the old scroll oh, come on moses not this story again yes this story again you're freaking out here it is and that day moses built an altar and he called the altar the lord is our banner because he didn't want to forget what god had done later in deuteronomy chapter 6 god warns israel not to forget what he has done for them as he brings them out of egypt into the land of promise deuteronomy 6:10 through 12 The Lord said, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities that you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide. That sounds pretty cool. Um, Just show up, the house is built, the food is in the fridge. Wells that you did not dig. Vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. Be careful. There's danger here to forget what God has done. God's pretty serious about this. Don't forget. Be careful not to forget. Then, 1 Samuel chapter 7. Israel wins a decisive victory over the Philistines. Actually, God does it for them. They clean up the spoils. Samuel the prophet takes a stone, names it Ebenezer. Not like the Scrooge dude this Ebenezer, Ebenezer the word, we need to reclaim Ebenezer from the Scrooge. Um, Ebenezer actually means the stone of help. And when, when Samuel sets up this memorial because God gave Israel victory over Philistines, he said about the stone, hitherto the Lord has helped me. In other words, up to this point in my life, God has helped me. You know, you need an Ebenezer stone in your life. Something in your life you can say, you know, i made it. Up to this point, God has seen me through. Ebenezer you know that old song we sing here I raise my Ebenezer my Ebenezer He raised that Ebenezer stone and, and it's the stone of help it's a reminder of what God has done we say well that's all Old Testament but then we read Paul and Paul says of all the things to memorialize of all the things to not forget let's go back that final supper that Jesus shared with his disciples. And Paul retells that story. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26, as he's rehearsing the events of Jesus' last supper with his disciples, he institutes a memorial practice, or reemphasizes it, for the church. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Here we go. Remember, remember. Don't forget. Remember, remember. When you take the cup, when you, when you eat the bread, remember, remember. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he come. So how many of you are convinced now, I hope, because I could bring up more instances, but I... Should I? No, I won't. Um, that, that God is constantly saying, don't forget that, don't forget that, don't forget that, don't forget that. Brian, you guys take communion every Sunday at Emmaus. Are you guys like, forget that easy, that Jesus died on the cross? No, we remember that every time we eat and drink, we declare the Lord's death before he returns. We are memorializing Christus Victor the victory of the Lamb who, stu- who stomped on the head of Satan, who crushed Satan, who-, who dominated over sin, hell, and death. And every time we raise the cup and eat the bread, we say the death of Jesus was a, was a place of great victory for us all. Of course we're going to do that once a week. We should do that once a day, y'all. Because in the course of your week, you get beat up, snot gets kicked out of you, you come in and you're either like, super excited about things you shouldn't be excited about or you're just super bummed out about things that are happening in your life and your emotions are all over the place and then we recenter and recalibrate and we say, remember the body and the blood, the bread and the cup. This reminds us of what Jesus has done. This reminds us of the victory of the cross. This reminds us of all that the cross implies. Do this as often as you do it to remember Jesus. But the command to remember is active, not passive. It requires us to engage our heart and our minds to actively remember. And so I'm going to post something on the city because I had to edit this from the notes. My wife said, you have too much. Just be of good cheer. I do run things by my wife, and she lets me know when I'm overdoing it. One of the, um, I'm going off trail. Sorry. I'm not going to do this. Um, I'm going to post something on the city uh, that really, I think, is an exercise to help us recall the goodness of God in our lives and to also frame up how we anticipate going into the future. And there's just a series of questions I think you can ask yourself. I ran my my kids through it, um, and we talked about good things they saw in the last year, difficult things, and then what they're hoping for in the future. Um, I think it's a good practice. Um, But it does require some effort on your part. Remembering requires effort. It's not just like, oh yeah, I remembered that. No, it's actually active. Remembering the Jordans that God has seen you through. Remembering the things that God has done. So I'm going to run us through an exercise. um, And we're going to have a moment of a collective memory of some of the things that God has done in Emmaus in 2017. We've had some good times. We've had some difficult things happen. We have some people that are in some difficult places right now. But we have also had good things happen. We have had good memories that we've shared together, and it is good to set up some memorial stone and say, hey, remember that, remember that, remember that. And so I'm just going to run through a list of things. Um, There's a lot longer list that the elders and I have been coming up with of good things uh, and remembrance over the year, but these are just a few highlights of 2017 for Emmaus. Um, one of the great things that, that happened in 2017 is that God allowed us the favor of adding two new elder families to uh, our elder community, which has strengthened it greatly, uh, the newbies and uh, and and the Martins uh, added to our church community. Um, also, uh, another great thing in 2017 is we kicked off and established our values team. So those of you who are aware, we have five values at Emmaus, we got Gathered teams and we're beginning to establish some energy and strength around that. Um, this year we had uh, some awesome weddings. Who got married this year? Some some weddings here. Okay, uh, James and Annette here representing. So we had some great weddings. They were one and and uh, there was other great ones. Uh, I danced like a fool at that wedding, um, which prepared me for more dancing to come. Um, also, one of the great things that's happened this last year, 2017. Um, we had, like, a lot of babies born. Like, we counted nine. How many had a baby this year? New babies in the family? All right. Well, so there's little Jules, uh, newbie. Um, she was the only one. I, I got Eric to send me a picture of her. She represents all the babies. Uh, <laughs> all these great new lives coming in in, in 2017. Um, we've had some really great life-giving retreats. Those of you ladies that went on the women's retreat and, and got to, to lean into that or the men's retreat at Lake Gaston, um, just really uh hey we got a picture of that (laughs) that's what those guys were doing um and uh we had we just had great times over there building friendships and relationships um also our artistry team helped uh us develop our logo um the Emmaus logo and uh and also a website a lot of you guys were complaining about how lame our website was our artistry team got us a logo and a new website and we are so thankful for that um we started our 423 men's group at Emmaus, so men who are facing, uh, with overcoming any kind of sexual addictions, uh, meeting on Monday nights, and we'd like to see that continue to gain momentum and traction. Um, we had an overwhelming response to International Justice Mission Sunday, if you were there, um, with the matching um, grants or whatever that were, uh, we were able to raise over $30,000 for the year to help stop uh, slit, uh, sex trafficking and slavery, human slavery, all over the world. Um, we also had a fantastic one-voice prayer gathering. If you were there for that on that Friday night in December, um, great night just to gather with uh, two other local churches and, and begin what we're hoping will be uh, a, a regular rhythm of our church communities gathering together to pray. Um, we also threw an off-the-hook Christmas party. Thank you, Chelsea. Uh, so... If you weren't there for that, you got to see some of us out of character. Um, I just love the fact that Henry is even doing curls while dancing. Um (laughs) that was like one of the first things I noticed. Like, who dances like that? But a bodybuilder. Um, (laughs) uh, so good. Um, just a lot of good things, um, memories we've had, and, and more things than we could collect pictures for. Um, that we just say, God, thank you. Thank you for the joy and the laughter. And the food and the drink and the friendship and the Bible and the prayer and the deliverance and the spiritual victories that we've seen in 2017. A lot of things that God has done. Um, We've leaned into some major topics this year. When you think of what we've talked about as a community in 2017, um, the men went, believe it or not, ladies, the men went deep emotionally together. We had emotional, healthy spirituality. We did a a series on that together together. Um, we did a series as a church community on Sunday mornings about the Holy Spirit, our NUMA series. and Many of you were praying for the filling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, learning about spiritual gifts and really leaning into God that way. Um, we spent a season talking about prayer and contemplative spiritual practices, um, a lot of things that we've done there. And then also we've leaned heavily in the last few weeks into spiritual warfare, seen a lot of spiritual warfare awakened uh, we woke up some sleeping lions. Um, we never, we've never seen such a frontal attack on our community since we started talking about dealing with the devil, his works and effects. Um, we've had people have all kinds of tremendous battles in the spirit world. And, and we've seen tremendous victories, and we've also seen a lot of stuff happen. And so a lot of things happening. Um, and over this year, we've shared with one another some of the things that have been difficult and, and some of our wins and losses um, but that's it. I told you that there was a significant part of this that I wanted to return to. because I, I do feel like God has a prophetic thing to say to us over this year. And I'm calling 2018, among many names I'm giving it, uh, is the, the year of Gilgal. And I, when we were reading through chapter 4, I, I told you to pay close attention to verse 19 and 20. And, and, and look back at verse 19 and 20. Again, on the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped where? At where? Just want to make sure you're still paying attention because I'm almost done. On the eastern border of Jericho, Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that had been taken out of the Jordan. So I don't know if you recognize this, but when you read this, this is a significant time and a significant place. The time is significant. The place is significant. The date is significant. And I think it has prophetic implications for Israel and maybe even for us. It says that it happened on the 10th day of the first month. Does that make any difference to anybody here? Does that day, the 10th day of the first month, no? Didn't ring any bells? No one's going, oh yeah, I remember I read this one time and no, no dots connected? Okay, Exodus 12. We talked about that. They celebrated the Passover the night that God took them out of Egypt on the 10th day of the first month. This was 40 years to the day that they had been brought out of Egypt. This is a significant date. I mean, especially for me, I'm coming up on my 40th birthday, y'all. And I'm thinking, man, like, cool stuff can happen in your 40th. You think it's all over, but maybe it's all just beginning. For Israel, they were stepping into this date... And realizing at that moment, as they were stacking stones in Gilgal, wait a second, 40 years ago to this day, we were running for our our lives out of Egypt. Our firstborn baby boys had been saved by the blood of a lamb. We have wandered through the wilderness. We have been through hell and high water. We have survived drought and desert and snake-bitten and wind-blown and all the things that happened in the wilderness. Forty years to the day, here we are, God, in a new land. You've made a way for us. We've crossed the Jordan River. The land is in front of us. Your promises have been fulfilled that you made to Abraham that you were going to give him a great land, and it's taken all these years for us to finally be standing in this. It was a significant time, and it was a significant place, Gilgal. The Hebrew, for the word Gilgal, is rolling or roll away. And some commentators would even say Gilgal means the reproach has been rolled off or rolled away. So here they are, 40 years of wandering, 40 years of a promise that they had left unfulfilled, 40 years of a generation of unbelievers dying off, 40 years of the wilderness and here they stand in their prophetic moment with a memorial stone on the 10th day of the first month, 40 years to the day God got us out of Egypt. Here we stand on this day, on this hallowed ground at Gilgal, the place where the reproach has been rolled away. All those years of them wondering, is God good? All those years of them wondering, is God's promise that he gave me, gave us, gave this community 40 years ago going to ever come to pass? And there they stand in their prophetic moment. And I think there are just times and places and seasons where you recognize that God is trying to communicate something to you. And for them, it was prophetic hope. I believe that maybe for some of you, the 2018 is the year of Gilgal. The year where you'd be able to say, look at what God is doing he's taking me past my shame. He's taking me through my pain. He's healing my body. He's healing my relationships with my family. He's healing me. He's doing things. He's bringing me into my purpose and my destiny because the promised land was the land of destiny. It was the place where they belonged. It was a place where the land flowed with milk and honey, where there were houses they would live in that they did not build, vineyards they would eat and drink from that they did not plant. They were stepping into a place that was already ready for them. This was the land of destiny. beauty and promise. It's what God had for them and it took them 40 years to get there. But they got there. Whatever God told you however long it's going to take, you're going to get there. They got there, you'll get there. Whatever it is that God has intended, He will do what He said. Amen? All the promises of God are in Him. Yes and amen to the glory of God by us. In Christ. So therefore, as we stand on the precipice, our Jordan 2017, the year behind us, the wilderness, if it was that for you. As you look ahead, let us be hopeful that we can cross this Jordan, ladies and gentlemen, that we can get through this. We made it. You made it another whole year. You're still here. You're still married. Your kids are all alive. Maybe it's been rough. Maybe the marriage is rough. Maybe the kids' health has been rough. Maybe job's been rough. Maybe things have not been smooth, but you're here now. You're still here. You are on the brink of another year, and I am stepping across this Jordan with you saying, Gilgal, I believe God has got better things ahead of us than we have anything behind us. Because I believe the, the theological perspective that a Christian is to have is that we go from glory to greater glory, from faith to faith, from grace to more grace, that God gets better, not worse. God never declines. His promises, His effects on your life never go backward. You may feel like you're going backward, but I promise you, God is bringing you into the land that He intended for you to go into. Amen? Y'all looking at me just quietly. Come on. It's time to get Pentecostal, y'all. Wave some hands. Come on, Bishop. Preach it. Uh Uh-huh. Give me that deacon hum. Whatever. Do something. Amen. If you don't know, just say amen if you don't know anything else, right? If you didn't grow up like that. Uh, But it's all right. Talk back to me in some church. You know, when we have church, you got to talk back. Um, And and I think in in this prophetic moment, as we look forward, um, we have a responsibility, brothers and sisters, for those of us who have seen our Gilgal or are anticipating it, when God brings you into the place of abundance, you have a responsibility to remember. And not forget, and to tell the story. So I uh, was picking up Greg um, Linenbach, which is Jen Emerson's father, from the airport. There's nothing like riding with the grandpa, whose granddaughter is got tubes all over her, and they're wondering how it's all going to work out. And, uh, you know, I'm just thinking, God, help me to be a comfort to this man and not to say too much. And uh, it was kind of interesting because Jen comes from a really godly family. Her father is actually a pastor. And uh, pastors some very unorthodox churches, home churches. Just a radical dude. Great guy. Great guy. And we're driving in the car. He starts just telling stories about healing. People he's seen healed. A time he fell off a roof, almost broke his back, and God healed him. And we're in this quandary because my faith is being built, but I know I'm driving him to the hospital where he's going to go stand in the room with his granddaughter, who he is praying that she would be whole. And I thought, you know, good on this man for laying down memorial stones and remembering to remember the Gilgal moments, remembering the times when God had brought him across the Jordan. And I, I, I didn't get to track with Greg while he was here on his visit, but I'm guessing that he being faithful to remember what God had done helped him through, is helping him through, is helping Jen and Evan through, is helping Judy through, is helping their family through this difficult time. Hope is not built on just whimsical, hopeful, naive bliss, just hoping it's going to work out. It's built on stones of remembrance saying, God did this, this stone. God did this, this stone. God did this, this stone. stone. Do you have those in place in your life? We have a responsibility as we step into this prophetic moment, as we believe that ahead of us is better than what's behind us, that when God brings you into the good land in 2018, when God begins, to do, we have a responsibility as a community to tell the story, to stack the stones in front of each other. So we're committing, recommitting to you as a leadership team to help tell better stories, more stories, tell your story, help you to tell your story. We're going to try to get our media team together, and we're going to have um, storytelling Saturdays where we're going to have people come in, and we're going to have sort of just a mini little framework, and we're going to get you on camera, and we're going to have you tell your stories, and we're going to stack up memorial stones because God said, keep remembering. Don't let your losses and your pains frame up everything about you because if that's all you see, you've forgotten the goodness of God in the land of the living. And so we need to commit to one another. When good things happen, we want to celebrate with you. When tough things happen, we want to pray with you and gather around you. We share in our wins and our losses, amen? And we step into this year with faith and hope. Believing good is to come. Believing Gilgal. That for some of you, maybe this year will carry the kind of prophetic significance it does for me. I'm turning 40. That's like a significant number in the Bible. And I'm believing God for my 40th year. I'm believing God for Emmaus as we come into this next year. I'm believing God for you. We're believing God together to say, this is is a good thing. As we, we come into this year, God is gonna do tremendous things in our lives. And as he does those things, we need to tell the stories. Amen. Can you commit with me? to telling the stories of goodness, to, to, to writing down the things that God is taking you through, not forgetting that having a healthy baby is not a guarantee, not forgetting that having a healthy marriage is a guarantee, not forgetting that you being healthy every day is a guarantee, you having a job, the good things that are in your life that you just walked right past, those are not guaranteed any of us. And, and to just live in a place of acknowledging goodness in the midst of the pains. Amen? Let's stand together.